I love that song. We get just a little bit charismatic when we sing that song, which probably makes some of you nervous, but it's a good thing uh, to celebrate God. Amen. So last week we started the season of Advent, and along with this season, we're in a new sermon series that we're calling the Songs of Christmas. And I want to uh, start by asking the question, what are songs? What are songs? We're looking at different songs over the next several weeks. What, what are songs exactly? Songs are basically poetry that is set to music. Poetry that is, is how something gets expressed when ordinary language won't, won't do. And I know some of you are thinking to yourself, I hate poetry. You don't like the flowery language. You don't like the metaphors, the rhyming, whatever it may be. But I bet that you like poetry when it's set to music. And that's what songs are. When you set poetry to music, it does something else to the poetry. It, it, it has a special, unique kind of power to it. You know, prose is language that is it's in, in its ordinary form. And that has its place. But poetry does something that prose cannot do. You didn't know you were going to get an English lesson today. But often in Scripture... The, you see poetry. The entire book of Psalms is all poetry. The Old Testament prophets are almost all poets. Some of the best parts of the New Testament are poetic. And what we think about Christmas is most, mostly found in Luke 1 and 2. And in Luke 1 and 2, there are four songs. There are four poems. The Song of Mary that we looked at last week. The Song of Zechariah that we'll look at today. The Song of the Angels and the, and the song of Simeon. And then, because of the way the calendar falls, the Sunday after Christmas is December 26th. It didn't feel right to start a new series on December 26th, so I've got a bonus track for the playlist, another song that I found in Luke and I, that we're going to talk about. You actually have to get dressed and come to church on that day. No cheating and watching online because you sat around all day on the 25th to hear that, that last song. So we're really going to do five songs in this series. But today we're going to look at the song of Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. But before we read the song and the story, I want to talk about Zechariah for a minute because it's really important to know who Zechariah is as we think about the song that he sang. Zechariah was a priest. Zechariah was a devout man, a priest. He lived in the rugged hill country of Judea and he was married to a woman named Elizabeth. And she too was devout. And she was holy. And Zechariah and Elizabeth had no children. And by the point that we arrive at in our story, they had reached this, this age that people are typically done having children. So priests were all a part. This is kind of the way, in, that you, in case you don't know this, the priests, the way that they worked was the priests were all a part of different divisions or groups. And Zechariah was a part of the division of Abijah. And you can read about the details of that. I'm kind of giving you some of the summary before we read the song that's actually found in Scripture. And so a priest, these different divisions, would rotate and they would take turns uh, in the temple in Jerusalem. And there were a lot of different priestly divisions. So occasionally, it, it would be Zechariah's division's turn to go to the temple for a week to serve in Jerusalem. This is a really big deal. This moment that we're going to read about was a really big deal because Zechariah is a country priest. He might have preached in Kaufman, Texas, right? And so to get invited to go to the big city 
was a really big deal. And so the time came for Zechariah's company to go to Jerusalem to serve in the temple and to perform all the rites that priests would have performed. So he goes with his division to Jerusalem. And while he is there at the temple, Luke tells us that it fell to Zechariah by the casting of lots. Think of like a spiritual drawing of straws, throwing dice. That he had to go into the temple. Zechariah was chosen by the casting of lots to go into the temple and to offer incense upon the altar. But you were only eligible to do this. This is why this is really a big deal. You were only eligible to do this if you had never done it before. So this is truly a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, which makes this moment really even more remarkable. And so leading up to this moment, Zechariah would have been rehearsing what he was going to say when he went into the temple, right? He wasn't, Zechariah would not have ad-libbed and made stuff up. Everything was scripted. He followed the script. So Zechariah was doing this, and he had rehearsed. He goes into the temple when an angel appears to him. And this freaked him out, just like it would you, and an angel, with an angel appearing to you. And so this angel said what angels always say in Scripture to human beings, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The angel tells him, I have some big news for you, Zechariah. You and your wife, though you are older, are going to have a child. And it's going to be a boy, and you will give him the name John. And John will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even while he's in Elizabeth's womb, he will come in the spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn Israel back toward God, and he will prepare his most important role Prepare the way for the coming of the Lord's Messiah. And Zacharias said, with some doubt and sarcasm, I imagine, in his voice, to an angel, well, how exactly can I be sure of this? And the angel said, come on, Zechariah, I'm an angel, right? What kind of response is that? How can I be sure of this? And so, you know, so the angel says, just shut your mouth, shut up, right? You didn't know that that was actually in Scripture, but just read the story with a bit of imagination, and it's there. The angel said, Gabriel says, in fact, you will not be able to speak until the boy is born. And so he leaves Jerusalem with his division. Once his priestly duties are done, he goes with his group to head home. He goes to Elizabeth, and sure enough, she becomes pregnant. Nine months pass Elizabeth gives birth, and the whole time during this pregnancy, the whole time Zechariah can't talk. And because Zechariah and Elizabeth and all their family were observant Jews, they gather after John is born on the eighth day, the day of circumcision. And in the story, you can read it for yourself, Luke says that all of their relatives and family members and friends were there. It was a party. A circumcision party. And you know you've heard me say before, there ain't no party like a circumcision party. <laughs> and they, they name him John, right? Which John's, John means, if your name is John, it means God is merciful. And he will grow up to be John the Baptist. And in this moment, Zechariah regains his speech. And what does he do after nine months of silence and being unable to speak? He sings. And I love that he sings. After nine months of reflection, he breaks into song. Don't you know that during that nine months, so much emotion, so much passion has been building up. He hasn't been able to speak 
since he saw the angel there at the temple. And now in his old age, he has a son and he's holding John in his arms and he sings. I want you to listen to what he sings. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to, and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, as he looks down at John, you will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. This song is such good news, and I've been so excited to preach today. And I want to talk about why it is such good news. First of all, it's good news because Zechariah has come to understand, I think probably through his period of waiting, this nine months, he's come to understand that the Messiah, come, his son arriving means that the Messiah is not far behind. He is no longer, he no longer has the doubts that would have plagued all Jews, right, of when is God going to show up. He no longer has these doubts because after this, this moment, this how can I be sure of this question that he asked the angel. He no longer has these doubts because now he is confident that after centuries of waiting, God has again come to his people. So he sings about God's redemption, God's salvation. And he has this interesting phrase in his song. I don't know if you caught it. This interesting lyric in verse 69, the horn of salvation from the house of David. What's that about? He says, God has raised up a horn of salvation. It's a reference to the house of David. Psalm 132, one of the places where this word shows up also in scripture says, here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. So think about a horn. This is about strength. This is about power. God promising long ago to raise up a strong king, and now it's happened. And what you know about animals, think about what you know about animals who have horns, especially. The strength and power of an animal that has horns is concentrated in its horn, right? And so, so Zechariah is singing about this idea. He's saying in the same way that the strength of an animal with horns is concentrated in its horns, all the redeeming power of God that was promised to the house of David a long time ago will be concentrated in the Messiah Redeemer. And so Zechariah is singing about Jesus. And he's singing about his baby who will prepare the way for Jesus. And we're given, if you noticed, a picture of what salvation looks like in this song that Zechariah sings. Listen again to what Zechariah proclaims. This is how 
N.T. Wright, in his commentary on Luke, summarizes some of these verses. He says, salvation, this is what salvation looks like. Salvation from our enemies, rescue from hatred, to give us deliverance from fear and foes. The heart of our God is full of mercy. That's why his daylight has dawned from on high, bringing light to the dark as we sat in death's shadows, guiding our feet in the path of peace. This, church, is what salvation looks like, according to Zechariah. Being saved is about more than just what, we ha- what happens after we die. It is about that, but God wants to save you from a life of fear from a future that is filled with hate in your heart because those things are hell, right? Living a life of fear, living a life that is filled with hatred in your heart is a living hell. And God wants to save you from that hell too. And God wants to save us from all of that so we can walk on a path of peace so that we know that he is full of mercy. Just think about your life for a minute. If you could be forever free from fear so that you are forever filled with peace, wouldn't that be salvation? If you could be forever free from fear so that you are forever filled with peace, wouldn't that be salvation? You'd say, I've been saved because I used to be so afraid. I used to have hate in my heart. I used to not know the path of peace. But Christ came into my life, and now I know a different way. I know an alternative way. This is the salvation that Jesus Christ brought to your life and to mine at Christmas. And we have to be careful as we hear the words of Zechariah's song to not think that this salvation will come about the way that the world brings about salvation. Notice that the language that Zechariah uses Salvation from our enemies, rescue from hatred, deliverance from fear. To some who might have been standing there hearing Zechariah sing this song for the first time, and to some maybe still today, they hear Zechariah's song and Zechariah's words and probably think of, think about it like in a human sense or a, a political sense even in some, t- in some ways. So if you think about salvation in a human way or a political way, like like Zechariah is singing about God redeeming Israel, like it's a national thing that he's singing about. If you think about it that way, then it, this is what salvation looks like. And also I want to kind of, in your mind, kind of put these, what, what he's actually singing about, but, but then the way that people kind of think about it, kind of side by side. If you think about salvation in a human or even political sense, it, salvation might look something like this. We're saved from our enemies by destroying our enemies. We're saved from those who hate us by hating them more. We're saved from fear by placing the highest priority and value on security. We can walk in peace when we've eliminated any possible threat. That is, unfortunately, how some people hear what Zachariah is singing about, but that is not what Jesus has in mind. And we know that's not what Zachariah is singing about because that's not what Jesus actually does when he comes to earth. If Jesus saved this way, Jesus would just be behaving like Caesar or Herod. And the evidence of this is in the Christmas story, right? What happens when Herod finds out that there's a baby king that's been born? What happens? 
He kills every boy in the Bethlehem region because he's afraid. So what does he do? Salvation, saving himself by elimination, right? But Jesus wasn't coming to do that. Jesus wasn't coming to get even with or wipe out all of Israel's enemies. That's what some Israelites wanted. But Jesus was coming to save those enemies too. And more than that, Jesus came to save people from the larger enemy of sin, the invisible enemy that people thought that they could escape from. That enemy is actually the one that can wipe people out, and that's the one that Jesus came to wipe out. He came to invite us into a life of peace, a life that chooses to love our enemies. He came to deliver us from the real enemies that you and I have, like hate and fear and death, which we cannot escape so that we can be truly free to serve him all the days of our lives. And this is the second reason that this song is such good news. Jesus' salvation comes to us in an altogether different way than the world brings salvation. And after nine months of silence, after nine months of reflection, Zechariah can now clearly see this. He understands that John's life His baby's life, as he's holding John in his hands, is really important. John's life is really important because what John will do when John grows up is to begin to call people to plant in their minds and hearts the idea that things are not going to happen the way that they think they're going to happen. It's just a reoccurring message in the the Gospels that people are just constantly surprised. Well, that's not how I expected God to do it. That's not how I expected God to do it. That's not how I expected God to do it. And John starts that thing in motion, that that idea that continues to confuse people. Why is this happening? I thought this was going to happen instead. John will later say, repent for the kingdom of God is near, right? And if you ever wondered why John the Baptist, why why God, what's his role in the story? Why is his ministry so important? This is why, because John says the Messiah is coming. This is so important. Listen to this. John says the Messiah is coming not to do a physical thing for you. The Messiah is coming to do a spiritual thing in you. And those are very different things. The Messiah is coming not to do a physical thing for you, though you might receive some physical benefit. That's not the priority. The spiritual thing in you that you can't save yourself from is why Messiah is coming. And that's John's message. If you think about it like a construction project, John had to come in and do all of the dirt work before the foundation and the house could be built. Otherwise, everything would have been off from the very beginning. When he would grow up and go out into the wilderness and start eating locusts and honey, he would begin to help people see that real redemption, real salvation that they needed was to be delivered from their spiritual enemies of sin and the force of darkness so that that they might be saved. But what you know now, living on this side of the story, is that ultimately people didn't like that message and they killed John and they did not like the message that Jesus preached so they killed him too. But God raised him on the third day. And that is why we are here today on a Sunday, celebrating on a Sunday. And we do it every week. Why do we do it every week? Because that is just how good the news is. It is something that needs to be celebrated every single week. It's not like your birthday that you just do once a year. No, this news that God came to earth 
that he died on a cross, that, that God raised him from the dead, and that he is still alive today and needs to be celebrated every single week. The tomb is empty. And you know, I can't really preach Advent without preaching a little bit of Easter because the story doesn't make complete sense without Easter, right? Advent announces that the party has started, and Easter announces that the party looks like this, like a table, not this actual table. But the party has moved from the temple to the table. And this is the final reason this morning that I want to share that I think that this song is such good news. Remember what I said about Zechariah. Zechariah is a country priest going into that temple. And it, in case you don't know, I want to kind of explain. Like think of, think of the temple as just a bunch of circles, concentric circles, all inside of each other, okay? Concentric, ever kind of ever-restrictive concentric circles of holiness, right? So Israel is God's chosen people. Within Israel is the holy city of Jerusalem. Within Jerusalem is the temple. But even within the temple, there are, there are concentric circles, right? There's the court of Gentiles. If you're a Gentile, you can only come this far. There's the court of women. If you're a woman, you can only come this far. There's the court of men that aren't priests. You can only come this far. And then there's the temple. And then there's the Holy of Holies, which we're not even going to talk about. Only the high priest once a year could go into that place. But what happened is that Zechariah gets his moment to go. And he realizes in this moment that in Christ, all of those barriers went away. And the temple was replaced with a table. Maybe say it this way. The new temple is a table. And if you think about those two things alongside of each other, they are very different pictures. So why is Zechariah singing? Because he knows, as a priest, what has just taken place. And it is mind-blowing to him. And it's mind-blowing to me. And I hope to you. Like as a priest, he would have understood it. He's gotten a glimpse, just maybe even a small glimpse, because I don't even know that he fully understands until John's life and Jesus' life begin to play out. But he can't help to sing about what he does understand. Now it's no longer if you're a Gentile or a woman or a man who's not a priest, you can only come this far, but you have to stop. Now, now it's, hey, the party started. Come on. And somebody says, well, what do I have to do? To come into the party. And Zechariah's answer would be, you have to come to the table. That's all you have to do. Just come to the table. The only thing you probably can't do when you're at the table is tell other people that they can't come to the table. You have to embrace the spirit of generosity that you were invited with. Because everyone is welcome. The party has started. Our sins are forgiven. And Jesus is the host of this table. There are no more barriers to keep people from God. This is the place where we begin to live in peace. This is the place where we find forgiveness. This is the place where we find community. We find other people as we look across the table who also have been washed in the blood of the Lamb and who sit at Jesus' table. We find community. This is where we let go of our fears because we understand Jesus has taken care of all of it. This is where we learn to love because we understand how much we were loved and we can give that love away. And you know the only thing, the thing that you do when you hear 
news that is this good, church? The only thing you can do, really, is sing a Christmas song. That's what Zechariah did. He sang a Christmas song. When you and I hear news this good that we've been invited to the table, Christ is the host, our sins have been forgiven, and we're welcomed with open arms. There's no longer a barrier between you and Jesus. You step into relationship with him, and he is waiting for you at the table. The only thing that we can do is sing. Sing with Mary. Sing with Zechariah about Jesus who has come into the world. Joy to the world is the song that we're going to sing this morning. Would you stand with me? I want you to think as we sing this song about the words that you're singing in light of the song we've just heard Zechariah sing to us. The poetry that Zechariah just gave us. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare room for him. Let heaven and nature sing. Let's pray together, and then let's sing that song. Father, we love you, and we're grateful for the good news of this Christmas song in Luke chapter 1. And we pray that as we live our lives this week, that we will be confident in knowing that you come to save in a way that is altogether different than the salvation that the world provides. That you come to save us from enemies that are invisible, that are enemies of sin and death. You come to rescue and redeem us and deliver us from fear and hatred. You come to guide our feet onto the path of peace so that we might serve you in righteousness and holiness all the days of our life. And God, we ask this morning that you will plant in our hearts a song like you gave to Zechariah. Joy to the world. May we make room in our hearts for Jesus this day and in the days to come. We pray through the all-powerful name of our King, Jesus. And the church said, amen. Let's sing together.